What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray, and we're talking about generational wealth. We're talking about mental health, finance, and business. It's a Black Man Sunday. Time to put all childish things away. I refuse to be the man I was yesterday. Gotta put my best And before we introduce today's guest, my man Eric from Huntsville, Alabama, who do you have for our Black Men Sunday Spotlight? This is February and where we actually, we like to actually recognize Black contributors to uh, what they've done in American history. Um, but because this is February, um, we try to show, you know, even more of what's going on and also expand on throughout the year of uh, inventors and things. So today's spotlight, I'm going to talk about the guy I have here. His name is Paul Williams, Paul E. Williams. This brother here was the first or the guy who actually invented the helicopter. Little unknown facts about this. So I had to do a little digging on this right here to make sure how reliable this source is. Actually, there's another guy, there's another German guy by the name of uh, Igor Sikorsky, Russian guy, who's also credited of developing the, the helicopter. But this guy here was actually credited for bringing the first useful helicopter. So let me give you a little background history on him. All right, he was born on July 2nd, 1939. And guess what? Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama for that. His inventions have reportedly advanced the performance of the helicopter. Now, Williams was involved in the development of the first, well, again, I say useful helicopter, in particular, the Lockheed model of 186. Although the helicopter was not produced until 1962. Now, he acknowledged for incorporating these various novel features into the helicopter that's affected the entire cooperation of the helicopter in a brilliant way, and this is according to his, some of his colleagues. Now, the Lockheed XH-51, that's the model that he actually developed, was an American single-engine experimental helicopter designed by Lockheed Aircraft, and its development started in 1959. Now, again, Igor Tchaikovsky, he's a Russian designer. He's actually credited for developing the first passenger helicopter. So, that's again, this is my spotlight, Mr. Paul E. Williams, the inventor of the first known helicopter, or let's say useful helicopter. Now, Corey, back to you. And of course, I would expect you to get somebody from Alabama on here. Of course. I was waiting for that, man. Definitely, man. Well, hey, thank you for that spotlight, my brother. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Eric, for that Black Men Sunday spotlight. Let's go on to introduce today's guest. We're bringing back Stacy Perrin. She's the director of the Mental Health Association of Central Florida's Youth and Family Services Program. I'm happy to announce Black Men Sundays has partnered with the Mental Health Association of Central Florida. She's also a licensed clinical social worker with a bachelor's and a master's degree in social work from the University of Central Florida and a Bachelor of Science in Psychology from the University of Florida. Stacy Perrin, welcome back to Black Men Sundays. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. Definitely. And one thing about Black Men Sundays, like, you know, I had to change my intro. It was generational wealth, finance, and business. But you hear me, generational wealth, mental health, 
finance and business. So we're on board. And also, I would like to make it official. Black Men Sundays were partnered with the Mental Health Association of Central Florida. So that means once a quarter, we're going to have you or somebody from the association to come on, talk to us about mental health. We really need to that education. And also, you know, I would love to do some things in person as well. But let's let's go on and get right to it because I'm excited for today. And I just want to jump right in. So when we're talking about mental health, how does the faith community help aid in brothers and sisters with mental health problems? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and it's interesting too, because there's a little history to this. Up until the 19th century, um, psychiatry and religion were very closely linked. And then when Freud came along, he he kind of caused a separation because he started to say that he thought that mental health was, um, that religion was causing neuroses and hysteria. And so there was this division for a while. But what we know since um, about the time that they created the dsm 4 was they started to really look at again and understand the importance of religion and faith-based communities and, and resilience factors that tie into mental health. So when you look at things like some of the mental health symptoms that come from trauma, because we talked about trauma last time. So you talk about like a trauma, trauma causes things like a scarcity mindset, causes a feeling of separateness, um, isolation, chaos. And then you look at all the things that come from membership in a faith community. So first of all, key there, community. So there's that unification of being part of a community. Um, and instead of a, a scarcity mindset, there's more of an abundance mindset right? And instead of chaos, there's protection. So it's very counter to the things that are kind of embedded in someone from having those traumatic experiences. And let's talk about, let's transition, but let's still stay sure. on this topic of the faith-based community. Because, you know, when I look at a lot of people that work in stressful environments, yeah, um, I know I work in a stressful environment, but I've figured out just ways of kind of, you know, when I start feeling like I'm going to freak out. Or so I just kind of mm -hmm. take a breath, count to 10, you're good. Yeah. But how can, like in, um, when, when we're talking about industries that mm -hmm. where people are in high stress situations or where you're just in a situation where it's very stressful, do you have any studies or is there some relation to how the faith-based community can aid in your, in your mental health, in your professional career environments? Absolutely. Um, so just a couple of things that come to mind. There was a study done pretty recently, like during the height of the COVID pandemic, and it was um, a study of 408 healthcare workers on the front lines. And what they looked at was healthcare workers that had some type of faith involvement, whether it was Catholic, Christian, Taoist, Buddhist, and their responses, they didn't have their perception of the stressfulness was much less because they had that grounding and that resilience that comes from being part of a faith-based community. And we know, like we saw so much about the impact on those, the people that were right there on the front lines working at the height of the pandemic and how devastating it was. I think that's very interesting because, you know, as, as me, as a member of the media, I was out there, I saw a lot of you know, a lot of a lot of the healthcare workers in in environments where I was like, man, this is you know all day. At least I'm out there for a few hours. They're out there all day, every day. So that leads to my next question. Like when we talk about disconnections, 
How does disconnection assist with trauma? Okay. Well, it perpetuates so many of the things that come from trauma because we know that um, people that have experienced trauma feel isolated from community. So if they're already feeling that way, and then there's not those connections to remind them that they are part of something greater than themselves, bigger, you know, a, a bigger community, that there are layers of support for them. It just kind of perpetuates and exacerbates those symptoms. And then again, too, some of those other um, feelings of just chaos and um, fear, you know, it, it all kind of just intensifies those feelings. Definitely. And I want to slightly transition a little bit because I kind of learned a, a new trauma with our guest a week ago. You know, we've talked about uh, generational trauma. We've talked about, we always talk about generational poverty, but I learned a new trauma, relationship trauma. Right. Our guest last week basically mentioned it. And I said, wow, what is that? So when we're talking about, especially with black men, I really want to kind of really target us for a second. When, when we're talking about black men, in relationships, what can we do on a mental level so that we're not taking this trauma that we may have gained from a previous relationship and not infect the new relationship? Well, you know, that that connects to another really important subject. Um, when you're talking about someone who has experienced a traumatic relationship, Obviously, my first recommendation is going to be to, to seek some support, to get some therapy, find someone you trust and and get some you know good counseling but it also ties into emotional intelligence and we talk about self-awareness and and kind of knowing yourself and knowing what what you experienced and how that's triggering those those patterns because what happens is whether it's from relationships in your family you know whether that ties into generational trauma and some of the the uh, you know the ongoing impacts of generational trauma and the patterns of how the family has interacted and how they've responded in relationships and then if that's perpetuating patterns you know that's that's where that self awareness comes in and that's where it's so important to seek some therapy gotcha and speaking of a uh, therapy well first off let's say you know I'm someone where I'm a little apprehensive to even get a mental health evaluation. Mm -hmm. I'm like, eh, I don't know. What does the mental health evaluation consist of? Well, it, it a little bit depends on what type of mental health professional you see. So if you, let's just talk about social worker, because that's what I am. So if you come to see me, I'm going to do something called a biopsychosocial when I first meet you. And that's just basically getting a good overview of your life and your story. You know, it's not to go and do a deep dive on anything specific for that first session. It's just to get to know you as a person and, you know, what your what your story is, who your family members are, um, you know, where you're from, if you have any health issues um, and what is bringing you to therapy and maybe some of your experiences from the past that, you know, that I need to be aware of. So that would be my initial evaluation. If, if you're seeing a psychiatrist or if you're seeing a psychologist, it might be a little bit more formulated in terms of certain tests they might do, certain inventories they might have you do. But you know, usually the first appointment with a social worker or a licensed mental health counselor is that biopsychosocial kind of an overview. Okay. And could you give a give me like maybe an example of like a question or two? Sure. So, you know, aside from your date of birth and maybe where you where you're from, how many family members you've got, you know, who lives in the home with you. That's an important you know question to know. 
And then, you know, a question I always ask is, have you experienced trauma? And if, you know, if the person answers and they're comfortable going a little bit further, I, I would ask what type of trauma they've experienced. I would also ask if they have been diagnosed before with any kind of a men mental health disorder, if they're, you know, what, if any medications they're taking, those kinds of questions. Okay. No, that's great information because like I said, there's a lot of, a lot of apprehensiveness with this. Was it apprehensiveness or yeah, it's apprehensiveness. I'm yeah. see y'all see I, I'm talking to a gator. She's messing me up right now. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was gonna get by without a gator. <laughs> no, not, I, not today. At the University of Florida, I was like, wow. Yeah, no, I, I was being nice. I, I really wasn't gonna say it. I, I was just gonna say a bachelor of science in psychology, but some said, man, go ahead and say yeah, it. Yeah. Definitely. All right, so let's let's jump back, let's dive back into it. So, mm -hmm. because like like I said, the thing about it is a lot of brothers and sisters or apprehensive about just getting any type of mental health, anything. So I feel like, you know, our first episode and this episode, we're trying to get brothers and sisters to kind of, you know, ease, ease that apprehension some. Right. So my next question for you, because our show is about, you know, generational wealth, mm -hmm. we add mental health, finance and business, but let's talk about emotional intelligence. First off, let's talk about what that is and how that ties into resilience. But let's, before we get into that, a lot of brothers may be like, well, what is emotional intelligence and what is resilience? So let's break that down before you answer the question. All right. So basically what emotional intelligence refers to it, you know, we used to just look at IQ, which was just, again, from a very formulated, um, formulated testing um, process that you went through. But we know now that emotional intelligence is so much more important because it also allows you to tr maximize the benefits of that that other IQ that you have. So basically the, um, the emotional intelligence are the skills you have to be aware of your emotions, to be aware of other people's emotions and to be able to navigate those emotions, to manage yourself. So, you know, you talked earlier, Corey, it sounds like you have very good emotional intelligence because you talked about how you manage stress. And that shows me that you're self-aware and you already have developed some coping strategies, which I would say your score is pretty high. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Okay. And let's talk about resilience as well. Let's define that. <laughs> and then, like I said, my question basically is how does emotional intelligence and resilience, how does that tie into success and generational wealth? But I'll, I'll take the compliment sure. because, you know, I work in the news environments. But when I first looked at, um, at a job listing mm -hmm. for a news photographer, the first thing it said, able to work in high stress environments. And I said, hmm, I think I could do that. Yep. So, but you learn once you get in there, it's like, whoa. So, you know, you yep. have to have ways to calm you down because you know, when, when it, it goes fast and then it's over just like that. Right. So resilience refers more to like overcoming adversity, right? Being able to deal with it and overcome it. Um, and not have it define you. So that's, you know, and that's why emotional intelligence is so important because it's, it, those are the kind of your ability to navigate adversity, to be aware of things like how you react to adverse situations, to know like what are, what things are kind of triggers for you? Um, how would you normally react? So if, if maybe your reaction isn't so great, having that self-awareness to know, you know, I, this is something I need to get some skills to do a little bit better here. All right, cool. Great information. All right. Well, fellas, I don't, I'm not going to Iverson today. So the stage is open. Let's get it. Hello, this is Kalali. Uh, Hi, nice, nice seeing you again. Nice seeing you. Yeah. So um, I just got one question for you. Um, 
Ooh, since we're talking about emotional intelligence and things like that, does your organization have or do you know of programs which help with uh, building emotional intelligence and or self-awareness? Um, and or if not, you know, what are some tips we can do to like strengthen our emotional awareness? So the answer to your question is yes. And basically, in my opinion, every therapeutic program should be able to help people build their emotional intelligence, right? Otherwise, you're just coming, you're talking about the same things over and over again, you're not really making progress. So when, so just for instance, the work that I do with youth, that's so much of what I do is helping them to acquire those skills that are going to enhance and build their emotional intelligence. Um, where like you'll have a child who's maybe struggling with impulsivity or anger management. Those are definitely issues that are related to emotional intelligence, right? Managing impulses or having explosive anger. Those would say to me that like, that's a person that needs some work with emotional regulation. So we would work on skills and strategies to help build emotional regulation. Impulsivity too, it's kind of a self-awareness thing to even help a child understand, like, see how you did that? And you didn't really think, right? You didn't stop and think, you just said, this thought came into your brain and you just acted on it. That's impulsivity. So I would I would create a plan with that child to help them to manage those impulses. Awesome, awesome. I guess, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, my son is, is actually, actually now that you say that, my son's been interesting because, so he had, um, I would say like a year ago, he had a really bad experience and like um, in the school we had him in, so we had to change the schools, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't know what your experience is, but so I guess I'll ask you this as a follow-up question. Do you think that school environments can have, you know, either positive or negative impacts on like emotional intelligence for children? Yes. And I'll tell you why, because, you know, schools are run by human beings, right? And we're all different. And depending, sometimes it can be just be, you know, the a classroom staff member, it could be the philosophy of the administration. Um, you know, I think there are so many schools that do such great work. But I think sometimes you you run just like you would in any profession. We've all had, you know, probably a boss that didn't have great emotional intelligence and and was maybe um, you know, hostile or or harsh or stern. And sometimes, you know, I think sometimes with with in a school setting, I want to be very careful because I have great respect for teachers and I don't want to, you know, come off as as being critical at all. But it, it's just a thing like you could have a teacher who is struggling with their own mental health or their own ability to self-regulate. And we know there's a thing called co-regulation that's really important. And uh, therapists have known that term for a long time, but it's becoming more of a popular term um, in even parenting. And co-regulation is basically you staying calm so that your calmness and your ability to regulate your emotions is almost contagious to the children that you're working with. Mm, mm, I see that. So, I mean, in our situation, that's how we felt. We felt like the school environment was having a negative impact on on just just our child's maturation. Right. Now, fortunately, I'm in a position where I can just afford to move my child to a different, better environment. But do you have any advice for people who are not able to move their child but still feel like their child is being, um, you know, either their emotional maturation or just their maturation in general is being negatively impacted by the school? You know, or I think school, I say the school culture. Yeah. So I think, so you're saying if, so they wouldn't have an option to just move. And I, and honestly, I don't know that moving a child would be my first suggestion. I think my first suggestion would be try to advocate for your child, try to get a meeting with the school, um, you know, first with the teacher and see if you can work something out and, and come to like meet in the middle on some things and see if things get better that way. And then if that doesn't work, maybe 
um, taking it a little bit higher to meeting with an administrator and seeing if you can get some success there. Most times, you know, I think it's just, it's that communication with the school team and, and that you can see some good changes made. And then if you don't, you know, that's where there's a whole other level of advocacy and depending on the type of educational program your child has, if they happen to be um, a child with a 504 plan or an IEP, then there's another level of, of meetings that you can have in your school department. Yeah. So I, yeah, that, that, uh, that's good information. No, we did. We actually did all that. Like we, we spoke yeah. to the teachers several times throughout the school year. We talked to the administration. It's just that, you know, nothing was really changing and we didn't see, we didn't see the potential for it to get better in the next year. And like I said, fortunately we have, you know, we're blessed to have, you know, enough resources where we could just mm -hmm. move to a different school. And we've seen a whole, uh, just because of the change of environment, we've seen, a whole different, you know, side of him that that's been great. So, um, so yeah, I was just wondering, I was just curious, I guess, for my own, my own, yeah. <laughs> my yeah. own knowledge. Sometimes I use power for my own knowledge. Right. Well, I think you've got your proof there that you handled that so well, because, you know, you have a happy child now that's doing well and enjoying education. And, and that's the main thing, especially for a child as young as yours, is they, they need to feel seen and heard and successful in a school environment. And if you see that that's not happening, the sooner you can address that, the better, because you don't want that to start, you know, going into their self-esteem and having them to start to feel like they're not a successful student. So I think you handled that beautifully. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate appreciate you partnering with the show. Uh, look forward to, to, to good collaboration with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. It's great. All right, Stacy. So you're the director of the MA MHACF's Youth and Family Services Program. Started January A. Mm -hmm. It's been a month now. How is yes. it going? It's going really well. And actually, we started a pilot program earlier. We started a pilot program in November that's been going beautifully. So it's um, you know, it's just a much needed program, and uh, the you know the the different youth that I've been able to interact with. Even even last week, I um, had the opportunity to um, work with some kids that were transitioning out of foster care or homelessness and just being able to do a group with them and to see that these were young people that had been experiencing mental health symptoms that they had no idea were symptoms of mental health and that there was actually a name for what was going on with them. And to see you know, the sense of relief when you could provide some of that information. Uh, it's really powerful. That's keeps me coming back every day. It's just really exciting. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, on our show, we say health is wealth. Mm -hmm. And then I got it from you. Mental health is health as well. So what other services are offered um, at the Mental Health Association of Central Florida? Like, like kind of well, give us a little breakdown. Sure. So in addition to the free counseling that we have, so the youth, the youth and family services program is free counseling for youth um, and their parents and also care coordination and medication management. But that same type of service has been in existence for adults for quite a while, for many, I want to say at least like 13 years. So uh, we're all located at the Outlook Clinic and they have free counseling and uh, case management and med management for adults as well. And then we have um, a guardian advocate program and we have a reflections program, which is uh, peer counseling from people that have lived experience either in recovery uh, or with various mental health issues. 
So you can get peer counseling through that program and they have support groups. They have several different support groups now throughout the week. And then the big, the other big thing is that um, there's the connections department and connections is just a huge database of, I don't even know, probably over 3000 mental health providers in central Florida. So uh, anyone can call connections and they can be as specific as, okay, I live in Lake Mary. I need a, you know, a trauma informed male therapist who's no more than five miles from my house and connections will be able to, you know, give that person names of providers that fit that criteria. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Because I know on the last, the last episode, you know, you were telling me, um, you know, even if you're uninsured, mm -hmm. Don't be deterred. So I just want to really hammer that home as well. If you're right. uninsured, you're still welcome. Right, right. So the Outlook Clinic will provide services for people that are uninsured or youth that are uninsured. And then with connections, they can connect you with providers. If you are an insured person too, they can connect you with providers that um, will take your insurance or that would work on a sliding scale. So we, you know, that way we're able to get people support that have insurance or don't have insurance. Definitely. And I kind of want to bounce a little bit to, you know, because a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. employees, CEOs, mm -hmm. you know, wealth managers. But mm -hmm. one, but I was looking at a study and it said a lot of people on Sunday nights are very stressed because mm -hmm. They know they have to go to work Monday morning. And then I saw another study that said Monday morning, well, Mondays have the highest stroke levels. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering. And then I've talked to people where, you know, they may develop highs because they're just locked in. They're so locked in that they're not even sleeping well. Mm -hmm. So how does that relate to mental health? If, you know, you, you're in a, a stressful environment, but you're bringing the stress home. The weekends are fun. You're, you're having fun with the family, but in the back of your mind, you know, I got to do this Monday. I have to do that. You know, I have this big meeting Monday. Like, yeah. how, do, how do you manage that? And how does that, how is that attached to mental health? Because I feel like a lot of people disconnect that with mental health and they say, well, that's just the like job. Job stress. Yeah, yeah. Just like, yeah. Just like I said, when I was looking at my job description, the listing said, able to work in high stress environments. What you described, we call the Sunday scaries, right? And people can relate to that. It's that anticipation, Sunday night, you, you're kind of dreading going in on Monday. So again, that would be a place where first I would say, try some different relaxation strategies to see if this is like, is this your perception of things? Is this something where you kind of have to check in with yourself and you know have a little conversation with yourself about, whether this is just you putting too much pressure on yourself or are you really going into a toxic environment? You know, so that would be something that you might be able to determine on your own. And, but it also might be um, helpful to see a mental health professional to talk through some of those things. And, and, you know, a professional would be able to help you see, is this more of a, you know, maybe you have some anxiety. And so it kind of colors your world to see things through the lens of anxiety. And so that you're kind of awfulizing things and maybe things aren't you know, really that stressful. Maybe you're really effective at your job, but you put too much pressure on yourself. But on the other side, maybe you are working in a hostile work environment, or maybe you are in an environment that's just too stressful for you, or it's not a functionally run um, agency. 
but it's, you know, that's why it's always good to have an objective outside person to talk through things because they can kind of help you figure that out. Definitely, definitely. Great information. Stacy Perrin, part two. You enjoying yourself on Black Men Sundays again? Yes, I love this. I can't, I, I really was excited to come back. This is wonderful. And it's so good to be able to get this message out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah we're definitely going to do that. And I was going to say, if you had any statistics or any tips you wanted to drop before we get out of here, I think I'm pretty good. What, do you want some tips? Heck yeah, this Black Men okay. Sundays, of course. <laughs> All right, so... I would say, so, okay, a couple of things, um, just for relaxation. Uh, I think that everyone can benefit from learning how to do some deep breathing. So you can, you can Google search some different types of deep breathing. I have a lot of different techniques I give kids, but just learn to do some different deep breathing that you'll, that you'll start to feel that sense of calm come over yourself. Try those. If you're getting the Sunday scaries, um, or even the Monday morning scaries, and what I tell kids is, you know, you always have your lungs with you. So that's a, that's a strategy that you have with you everywhere. And no one even has to know you're doing it. You know, there's other things you can do too, that are a little more obvious, um, some fidgets or, uh, you know, even some physical exercises and things like that. But if, if you try one strategy, I would say, just try experimenting with some different types of deep breathing. Even just try inhaling for a count of four and exhaling for a count of six and just being conscious of that. And you'll see how calm your body will get. Gotcha. And do you have any tips for, because I hear a lot of people saying, you know, they may wake up two, three in the morning and their brain's already running. Mm -hmm. And then when it's time for them to really get up and go to work, they're exhausted, but their, their brain is running. Like, do you have any tips to ease that as well? Yes. So the thing I do, and you can, you know, although I, I try to recommend people not keep their cell phones next to them, if you have your cell phone next to you and you can go into your notes section and just type up what the worries are or make yourself a list and then put it down or keep a piece of paper and a pen handy, write down your worries. A lot of times that can help you stop like reviewing over and over again. If you just say to yourself, I'm writing it down, I'm going to deal with it in the morning. A lot of times just that one act will help you to put that to sleep so that you can put your body to sleep. Great information. Yeah, because, you know, that's that's what I've been kind of wondering, like, are there any breathing techniques I don't, outside of what I normally do? I just didn't know, you know, so I figured I'd get it from the professional Stacy parent. You want Anything? one more? Yeah, heck yeah, let's okay. go. <laughs> so one more for, for if you wake up in the middle of the night is try so first do your little list, you know, if you can, if you, if it's actual stuff that's running through your mind, do your list. But if you're just kind of waking up and you're just feeling kind of just tense, um, what I tell people to do is visualize your favorite place, wherever it is, whether it's the beach or, a, you know, a favorite family member's home and just try to like close your eyes and imagine every bit of it and try to like list as many things that you are aware of in that space. A lot of times you'll fall asleep when you're maybe maybe three or four into it. Mm. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you what I do when I wake up at like two or three in the morning and I can't go back to sleep. I'll just say, no, like whatever, whatever comes to my brain. Okay, you have this at 11. You have this at one. No, no, no. Then at some point I just kind of fizz back to sleep. So I figured I'd get that in. Um, Anything else? Or I think, I think we're set for this show, though. Yeah. Definitely. Well, Stacey Parent licensed clinical social worker, the director of 
the Mental Health Association of Central Florida's Youth and Family Services Program. Thanks for coming back on Black Men Sundays. We're definitely going to take advantage of this partnership. We're going to do some in-person things. We're going to come see you because, you know, I feel like I I know you virtually and yeah. we email, but, you know, it, it'd be nice to kind of, you know, come there and actually see the facility, see the Outlook yeah. Clinic, see what you do, be able to hang out with you. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we can do a lunch or something. That would be fun. I would love that. Definitely. Well, Stacey Parent, thanks for coming back on Black Men Sundays. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday and enjoy your week. Take cool. care. Yep, yep. It's a Black Man Sunday.